Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Trail and Error. This week, Tris and I are joined by Elsie Davis. Elsie, how are you? Very tired. Very <laughs> 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 <Those are> all good. <laughs> we, we, we should explain, you, you've, you've just come back from a race and uh, we're not recording in the middle of the night or anything. Um, you, you've just done rather well over in France. How, yeah. how, you, you first first place woman on the UTMB Côte d'Azur. How does that feel? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it was really good. I just felt really good from the start, and I think like after I had to drop out of CCC like a month before, um, because I was kind of ill during the race, I was kind of hungry. For this one to go right so um yeah there was quite a lot of pressure on myself because if it didn't go right it was just another failure but uh <laughs> yeah i kind of it's like i feel like you can tell almost immediately when you start races whether it's going to be a good day or not um and i definitely felt good from the start and um i kind of i'd seen the course a few like i'd been out the week before or two weeks before just because i had i was conveniently was already in the area for something else so i managed to see like probably about 50 miles of the 70 miles course um which i think really helps me actually um to kind of visualize and know which bits are good and which are tough um because yeah the course was really challenging compared to ccc really really quite technical and rocky in lots of places um there wasn't a lot a lot of time where you could like just relax and um, getting a flow it was always thinking about where your foot was going um pretty relentless even getting into nice where it was like in the city they went a really <laughs> strange route through like back country and like down some like some of the steepest steps ever <laughs> <laughs> like, really steep and tiny steps that you could only do one at a time and uh yeah even that bit was tough <laughs> kept you working to the end yeah um, we should probably rewind a little bit because we've just looked at our previous interview with you and that was in March 2022, which is quite a chunk of time. And I forget because I see you in the interim periods at work and then 
and see in Cornwall and stuff. But um, quite a lot has happened in that time. Um, just as you're saying, you, you, you did the winter Bob Graham, um, and that that was pretty phenomenal. Um, kind of fill us in on, on on your journey because I remember when we first spoke, you you just signed with North Face and we're under embargo, so we couldn't even mention it. Um, and you were also just moving back to Cornwall, um, which we also couldn't mention. So uh, <laughs> we, should also, we should also point out that things have gone really well for you since you first came on Trey and Our podcast, and that like now you're a return guest, things are just going to get even better. I think. <laughs> the trail and error effect yeah. I, I wish that worked for me <laughs> doesn't apply to most. Um, <laughs> how's it been how's the last 18 months been what a whirlwind yeah it's been crazy um, yeah it feels doesn't feel like that long that we were speaking and so much has happened in between I guess uh, yeah it's just built loads of experience I've I'm quite known for racing a lot, maybe too much, but uh, I kind of make peace with the fact that I know every race isn't going to be amazing because of the amount I race, but I just love going to the places and experiencing different terrains and different countries. And like, I do build strength from racing in like shorter distances. Um, mainly because I don't live in the mountains. It's actually quite important for me to get out and race in them quite a lot and get that, like um conditioning from from it so i find obviously by the end of the season i tend to get the best results um i don't find it makes me more tired as i as i like race too much i find that i get stronger and then yeah by about now i'm in the best shape so like last year for example my last race was in thailand it was the world championships Mm -hmm. um that was in november and i remember that one being like yeah i feel really good now um so yeah um i kind of either i'll have like some specific races that i like targets with it like and then it'll be the rest of them will be kind of used to build strength and experience um especially being from the road just getting used to running on such technical terrain has been really valuable do you forget almost that you were road how how does how does that work for you do you actually have a kind of off season a few months because i know um, like last year, you did that winter Bob Gray, um, which I guess would traditionally have been in the middle of the uh, off season. So, are you taking time off, or is it really just a kind of ongoing, relentless racing calendar? Yeah, yeah. When you're like, there's a lot of the mountain athletes, I guess, that in their winter, it's for skiing, and mm. obviously, there's not a lot of skiing in Cornwall, <laughs> um, and that's a really good way of like offloading because you lose that impact. And yeah, last year. I didn't really have a huge break because uh, yeah, with Thailand in November and then and then the Bob Graham in January, I basically I had a few days off um, and then trained for the Bob Graham. But I did find that a lot of the training for Bob Graham was I didn't do any high intensity stuff because it would be fairly pointless. Um, I just did lots of long days out in on the on on the route really. Um, and that was actually really pleasant it didn't feel like training because it's just really nice to like go out with any specific pace or um sometimes distance each day um and then yeah i, I mean i did take a few, uh, i think like two weeks off after bob graham because i was just not in a good way that uh, hit me really hard <laughs> uh and then yeah this time uh so i've i haven't done anything since 
raising niece, obviously, I just have been so tired. Mm. Um, so I don't know how much longer. Like, I think it's been nearly a week, and I can't even imagine running even again in another week. It's, yeah, I think I buried myself quite deeply in that race. Um, is that, so the tiredness, is that a kind of muscular thing, or is it more like the sort of nervous system, or is it like sleepy exhaustion, or a combination of all factors? What's the... Yeah, I think everything. It feels like kind of that feeling you get when you're coming down with like a viral illness. Like my legs feel like really heavy. I just get to about two o'clock in the day and I'm just like so tired. And then I did unfortunately have to come back and go back to work on Tuesday. I managed to switch my shift from my... So it was back to work and just like using your brain. Like Mm. my brain was still half gel at that point like <laughs> um and yeah i just think like I've, i really don't think ultra running is good for the body and <laughs> that's news to anyone but like, <laughs> my insides just feel rotten um and yeah just like i think it's like the come down from all the gels because i think yeah. well you know i was having like two three gels an hour plus but i had at least three liters of coke throughout the, the 14 hours of running and then like um carbohydrate drinks so like just pure sugar going into your body for that amount of time and then when you stop it's just like it's almost like a hangover from that as well yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah. and then the days before leading up i don't eat as healthy it's just carbs and carbs and carbs so kind of haven't had a like vegetable for a bit and just and then often often you find you don't sleep if you don't, don't find you find you don't sleep very well the nights following as well right so you kind of yeah. then stacking up towards quality sleep into the mix too yeah and like the night before ultras always start at weird times or really early and then normally you have to get to the start so like we left we got up at 2 a.m so obviously only got like three hours sleep or so the night before the race we drove to the start at 2 a.m and then yeah the next after the race i slept for maybe two hours because i guess yeah the pain and the and the like caffeine gels that you take and just the adrenaline and just everything um it's <laughs> there's my toenails throbbing and um i tried to even take painkillers before i went to bed but they just came straight back up <laughs> oh, oh, nice. um, but yeah I, I do i do like track my hrv my heart rate variability um <laughs> You got these. I got like a, uh, an aura ring which tracks it and gets it rock bottom at the minute. So yeah, I had that after um, Dragon's Back. I was I, I actually felt okay and I was out running again, but like easy runs. But my heart rate variability was in the bin. It was so low, and it was so so strange yeah. to have that metric and to be able to track it and go right. I'm I'm not I know like sort of clinically something isn't quite right here, even though I kind of feel okay. And that's a metric, obviously, that you know, in years gone by, you wouldn't have had to kind of, you know, make make uh, decisions based on. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of knew not to, pay, yeah, I knew not to kind of push too hard with the training, and it's it sorted itself out finally. But um, yeah, it's fascinating because I normally, even during heavy training loads, my heart rate variability actually stays pretty strong, um, telling me that I, should, you know, I'm good to go. But after Dragon's Back, it was bad. It was like... <laughs> I'm not surprised after Dragon's Back, though. And I'm surprised you're running so quickly. 
How many days after did you start running? Yeah, only like three days. Um, I was doing oh, like you know, five, five, ten k slowly, of course, um, just because it felt like a you know movement would be good for recovery. But it, it's a weird one with that race because. I mean, you know, they are fairly long days, you know, eight, nine, ten hours, but they're not very high intensity, um, and you're kind of conditioning as you go to to the kind of day after day slog, and so it's not like doing a sort of single day hundred mile where you kind of leave everything behind that you possibly mm. can. Um, I think those are harder yeah. to recover from in, in a sense. I mean, it's all in a way, it's all about effort isn't it and you know even a very high intensity 10k can take a little while to get over you know yeah yeah something when you like completely empty the tank it's a different feeling i guess yeah yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. i think it had been a while since i'd been i'd done that because i collapsed with heat stroke earlier in the year in march in malaga did a race there and it was like 35 degrees and um we started at 3 p.m and I'd just gone into the lead and obviously I accelerated and then just, I would say out of nowhere, but I think I just was probably ignoring the signals, but I just collapsed and then didn't know what country I was in and um, got, it really frightened me, actually. It was really frightening. Oh. And uh, So I ended up in hospital and I was so lucky that I collapsed in front of a doctor and medics and I got treatment really quickly because the mortality is like 50% if you don't get treated oh, wow. in half an hour. To that point because I it was so just so frightening to not know because I remember it all but I remember not knowing where I was and being like and not knowing who if anyone was there with me or if my wife was at the finish, at the finish line or not I couldn't remember um and then yeah I don't know half of it was panic then but I was just kind of scream I I literally thought I was dying like I genuinely thought this is the end it's not what it felt like oh my god that's Whereas cool after that it's <laughs> Yeah, honestly, really frightening, and it's put it's and it's made like me the like following races in the season. I was really anxious to go into, and um, I don't think I fully mentally recovered. Still now, even, but I felt like in that race, I I felt brave enough to kind of push on again, um, even though even though it was hot. But I was much more like mindful of keeping my temperature down and stuff. Um, so I had learned the lesson. But uh, yeah, I think it's probably the, the race, biggest race of the season where I've actually got brave enough to push as hard as I as I had done before. Um, there's, I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of chat in like ultra running and endurance sports about finding your limit and how you know so many the limits are perhaps sort of self-imposed and that they're you know, designed to be broken through and all this kind of like David Goggins-esque 40% rule and everything. But, I mean, it sounds pretty clear there that you are touching your limits, uh, you know, in these races and perhaps extending beyond the limit um, at times. Do you, do you think that's fair to say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never thought that running would kill me at, until that point I didn't think it'd be something that I, I just thought just push as hard as I can and block everything out and I guess that's what training you do in training is you train your mind to disassociate from the pain in your body but actually and pain is like is an emotion it's not an actual it is a feeling and it's different to everybody people interpret it differently so you can train your mind to to override signals that are actually meant to 
look after you um, <laughs> and protect you from harm. So um, obviously I had completely ignored all the signals before because it wasn't just a sudden thing. My body would have been getting hotter and hotter. Um, but I trained my mind to override that. And quite frightening that then you get to a point then where you're kind of at a point of no return. And if I hadn't of been collapsed in front of doctors there, I... And if it, if it was at the top of the mountain, it would have taken me hours to be seen by anybody. Um, and yeah, it's, it could have quickly gone into multi-organ failure and, and death. So I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of given me a bit of a reality check. And, um, you know, you always have to remember that it's just running and uh, <laughs> they want it to kill you. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a bit of a sobering experience. Um but yeah, one one hopefully that I'll never repeat because in, in hot conditions now I'm just I've just kind of think of everything even to the point like because it was March as well I was hadn't hadn't been running in any heat whatsoever and um, I stupidly like was thinking you know less clothes is better because you're cool uh, <laughs> so I was just wearing a crop I was just wearing a sports bra and shorts and um, you know for example this race in Nice I had a whole white t-shirt on and I know I even if it's hot and it, the whole t-shirt's wet from sweat and then that sweat actually keeps you cool um so that did make a huge difference and then yeah wearing a, a hat I think I was wearing a hat a cap in that race but it was backwards you know <laughs> nothing covering my face <laughs> um but you'll see um, in the in the picture of me finishing these I've got a nice bucket hat on which looks a bit stupid because it's like nighttime by the time I'm yeah, I bet you look cooler with the hat cap on backwards for sure like you actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've replaced it now for a sensible hat that covers everything and bucket hats are very on, on vogue at the moment in ultra running aren't they I see a lot of people wearing them even Jay yeah. wears uh, these kind of like um, bucket type things yeah, yeah I've got a, a hocker one that goes with me everywhere now um, mm. but less hard you know hard learned lessons um, I was stuck on a gurney in uh, La Palma after um, uh, yeah, La Palma after uh, Transylvania last year, they, they they stuck me on a gurney in the Red Cross tent and put two bags of IV fluids in me. Um, you know, that was crossing the finish line, having been in 30-odd degree heat all day and puking my guts up um, and then my knees collapsing. And then, you know, you kind of, you, you do start to, well, I certainly did start to have a sense of my own mortality at that point and going... You know, yeah, like, a bit like you said. In, in in a way, it's like I didn't think running would ever do this to me. You know, um, and then yeah, the, the subsequent race was even hotter, but I managed the conditions so much better. And then yeah, on the last race, not so much. But um, yeah, it was um, actually you were in my thoughts when I got to the bottom of uh, Penny Pass and started to get heat stroke symptoms. <laughs> and <Yeah>. I thought. <laughs> I remember um, images of you um, not not looking very well, and that was definitely part of my thinking. Was um, it's it's a possibility for this to get a lot worse. Yeah. So um, thank you for that. Yeah, that's that's, well, that's kind of what I hoped by sharing like the scary video of me collapsing that it would uh, just make other people think. And I know a lot of people have said to me since, I mean, like you know, I, I I was thinking about that, and it it made me kind of hold back a bit and. And, and reassess. Um, so, do you, do, you, do you think it's? So, do you think it's um, like if you you know, let's say you're in the same race, same scenario, what would you do differently? Is it really kind of effort level plus you know perhaps slightly different 
um, yeah, apparel um, to, to ward off the heat a little bit better. Just go slower, basically. Yeah, I think, like, there was a combination of things. Um, so, like... I first of all had a sore throat to start with, so my temperature was probably slightly higher than normal. So, not racing with illness is one. <laughs> uh, but I'd kind of fl- flown all the way out there and then got the sore throat, so I was just a bit like, oh, like just annoying. <laughs> you just think, oh, I'll just see if I can get away with it. Um, so maybe that was a factor. And then, uh, yeah, wearing. I wasn't wearing many clothes covering the skin. Um, I think that would have made a difference. Things like bandanas, like um, even just water. It doesn't have to have ice, but just water around the neck. Yeah. And makes a difference. There's a bit more time at aid stations, even five more seconds, just getting the body cool and throwing water over it. Um, And their effort effort level as well. Uh, I definitely didn't respect that and just... I kind of, I, I guess I didn't expect to be in the lead, and that I got carried away. And as soon as I got into the lead, it kind of I accelerated more, even though I was feeling not good. Um, so just having trying to check in with your body a little bit more, like and just being like, okay, how are things feeling? Do I need to back off? Like, um, yeah, I think those those things mainly. And, is there and, is there a way of I, I'm not sure if this is possible in a medical scenario or in a scenario, but is there a way of, of accurately checking core temperature? In a race. Up and on. No, yeah. No. Unless you That's not going to happen right now. I'm going to state that fact. I'm not that concerned. <laughs> Unless you want to take a rectal thermometer out with you in your, in your pack, then no. <laughs> That's a USP for a pair of shorts, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I just remember like if I could think of like the early signs I guess it's it's like my legs didn't feel very in control um kind of bits of dizziness sickness um yeah it's just I guess you're more going to respond to symptoms and uh but maybe I'm sure in the future they'll develop something those, mm-hmm. those ring that monitors HRV has a temperature but it's you know you'd have to be getting your phone out to check the <laughs> And it's it's not it's probably not as accurate anyway. Yeah. The cooling strategies seem to be like again, like bucket hats, not becoming quite a hot kind of topic of conversation. And um, I know Robbie Britton, who's a Centurion coach, obviously now twenty four hour record holders, talks about it a lot. And the, with the athletes and coaches, is is one of the kind of key things that he's trying to manage, one of the things that can be managed um, during, in, in, you know, intro race. And, um, you know, I know someone, I, I suffer from the heat badly. I run hot anyway. I mean, I'm the guy that's out in the vest and, you know, in, in the middle of the winter, um, you know, because I just warm up so, so quickly. Um, ice bandanas, that's a big one that, you know, I keep, keep seeing athletes using and trying out with a load of ice in the, the bandana wrap around your neck. Um, I'm thinking about next time I do a track race, um, getting one of those like garden weed sprayer things and just filling it up with ice water. And then every time I come around, assuming it's, it's warm, and even if it's not warm, right, just anything you can do to cool yourself down, getting my crew just to spritz me with nice ice cold water on each lap, like a, like a kind of little misty rainfall just for me. <laughs> Is that allowed? That's uh, crewing outside an A station. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, that's a good question. Maybe I'd have to come off track um, to do it rather than it be done to me whilst I, on I track. I could dress as a, a 
a member of the gardening team, perhaps, and just inadvertently spray you as you come. So sorry about that, sir. My, my mistake. I don't know. Like, I mean, you can be handed a bottle of water. So could you not be handed water in the form of a you know aerosol spray? I remember when I was training, I did a I did a run in Annecy on the, it's like a cycle track, and it was like they were having a heat wave. My wife was with me, and she came on her bike, and we bought a water gun from the shop. And she nice. She me as we went along. Brilliant. <laughs> it was so hot that the water inside the gun became hot, so then it, was, it didn't work out so well. But. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this was like this was like again like obviously dragons back still fresh in our minds but i mean cooling was so important on that and you know every stream every river every muddy farmy puddle you're just grabbing water out tip over yourself and of course in the heat of the day as well what often wasn't that cold depending on where you were exactly but even then it's I, I found it to be sort of some kind of relief over you know just relying on my own sweat um and the sunshine <laughs> Yeah, just keeping cool whenever possible. And I think a lot of it is, if you can, is is doing the acclimatization before. It's, yeah. It does make a difference. Um, yeah. Saunas and things, I, I do find help. Uh, training indoors on like either bike or treadmill with, with a little heater on is helpful. I was nice. watching a lady preparing for um, states this year, and she was running around with her um, microbuff jacket on. And, yeah. and, and, and yeah. the, th- the important thing is when she was getting back in her car finishing from the run she was keeping her jacket on and turning the heaters up she said yeah. my my instant temptation was to put the window down as i'm driving yeah. on and cool down but she kept the heat training going um, yeah and then getting a bath and eat a hot bath and you get home <laughs> yeah just oh so, so there, many bad good, things but is there good literature to support this then like basically practicing sweating will help you what does it do exactly is it helping you is it encouraging you to sweat better and cool down better in a race scenario uh is that the sort of form of condition increasing your like heat tolerance and it and it also increases your plasma volume um so it actually has performance enhancing benefits too because i think some people say that heat training can be as close as a performance enhancing as altitude training um so yeah and I know that when I've run for Great Britain, the British Athletics send the sauna protocols. Um, do that. So it's something that they do encourage. Yeah, like and they they encourage you to wear extra clothes when you're out running. Um, I think the I think obviously the the best benefit is going out and training somewhere hot. Mm. But these are kind of what you can do if you don't if you can't do that. Um, I did find it helps. I did it for Thailand. I did I did it quite strictly for Thailand and. I really did find a benefit. Um, mm. I did it a bit before CCC because they had that massive heat wave, but then it went cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's snow. Um, but even then, right? I mean, it's still gonna it's still gonna help, right? Because you you know, even if it's cold, you're gonna warm up. Uh, so there's got to be yeah. some kind of you know benefit there. Yeah, there's never going to be any harm to 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 being more acclimatized to heat. Um, and yeah, if you have a sauna, then it's it's great, but. Spending half an hour in one is not very pleasant. <laughs> well, I have, I have a sauna um, and I use it fairly regularly. I a lot more in the winter because it's just more fun to go into it when it's cold outside and hot in there because um, it's outside of my garden. But, um, and I, you know, I've, I've read up on it a bit and, you know, I'm aware of some of the benefits of hot and cold therapy and all that kind of stuff, but I haven't actually looked into whether there's any literature on sort of performance benefits in 
endurance, um, you know, from from the heat tolerance and everything. So that's it's interesting to hear. Mm. Where do you live? Because there aren't many saunas in Cornwall. I'll be knocking. Come <laughs> over. I'm in Bodmin, um, and you're welcome to come sauna anytime you like. You can yeah. run to the you sauna. Can run. We can go for a run around Cardinum, which is where I've just been this morning, and then get a sauna afterwards. The only catch is I only do it in the evenings. Um, well, A, because I try and space it away from the runs, which are in the morning, but you do a run in the afternoon. Um, but B, because I get cheap electric in the evening, it costs a fortune to run the sauna. Um, so, uh, it literally, it's like, if I, if I use peak electric, it's like five pounds a go. I might as well just get a membership at a health club. Um, whereas if I do it into the evening, then um, it's really? like, wow. yeah, it's, it's like a quid. So, uh, it's fine. But um, yeah, come over, welcome. Everyone's welcome. No, everyone's welcome because it's but, big and it If you guys are running through Cardinum, I'll be the guy with the crop sprayer. Yeah. Just at the side of the track. Oh, yeah, perfect. Um, I've got a call really next to it as well, obviously. So you can just go back and forward. It means you can um, you can do like twenty minutes in the sauna and then five minutes in the cold and then do another twenty in the sauna and just keep repeating back and forward. Perfect. Yeah, I've been trying to persuade my wife that it's the next thing we should buy, but we, she's we got the treadmill, and I think that's enough to ask for now. <laughs> yeah, that, what a fantastic segue. Um, I would love to know more about your. Well, you've kind of coached me indirectly on the on the stairmaster, and that was my first stage. And then you introduced me to double steps on the stairmaster, which I both love and hate you for. Um, and and and. Then came the, the incline treadmill, which looks amazing. And I read a post that you posted on social media recently, and it made me really cross because people apparently had a go at you for the insanity of what you were doing. And, and when I looked at what you were doing with a, an altitude mask on, um, don't know the technical name, but an altitude mask on and the incline treadmill and your poles, and I thought, based on training for what you're going to run, that was the most sensible thing I've seen on Instagram for a while. And then I read the post that somebody had had, because I'm not going to go into the whole trolling thing because trolls are just assholes anyway. <laughs> Have a go at me if you like, guys. I'm, I'm big enough to take myself, yeah, look after myself. So, but um, yeah, um, talk us through that and how that came about because that was just the most logical thing I've, I've seen and, and, it, and it clearly, clearly paid off. Yeah, um, so... Because we were in Manchester before this, so we moving down to Cornwall, obviously, we lost the quick access to the Lake District. So kind of one of the conditions of moving here um, and the house cost, we put in this incline treadmill. Uh, so it's like a Nordic track, um, and it goes, goes from minus six to um, 40%. Does it? Yeah, so it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I didn't know you could get minus uh, treadmills. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Uh I don't use a minus a lot, but it it's handy. Um Elsie, you have the advantage of video over our listeners and I, I, I obviously see both you and Tris on my screen. There's a tell with Tris. When you say something like that minus six, I looked at Tris's video feed and his eyes got slightly wider. <laughs> you like you talk. <laughs> well, no, I'm just, it's, I always think the treadmills, um, obviously you can do incline on, on them. Most of them don't go up to 40%, that's insane. But um, you can do incline stuff on them and you can do intervals and things like that. But, and I know of runners who do a lot of training on treadmills, but they're missing a slice of training when they don't get the downhill component um, because there's, you know, obviously there's a adaptation that comes from sort of slamming quads and everything into fast downhill running. 
Um, but it's, it's, I, I just didn't know that such a thing existed. But of course, it makes sense that it does because obviously, if you've got enough money and there's demand, then it's, you're going to want, want it, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a great tool. And I, I probably use it like, I use it once a week for like a running session um, because I do think it's still important to get out on the trails and get that proprioception from the, from, from trail running and, you know, technical terrain, which you can get on the coast path easy and you can get a lot of descent on the coast path too. So yeah, you would on the, on the build up to the CCC in this race, it would be, and if I wasn't somewhere mountainous, I'd use it once a week for like a key session. Um, Like an example would be, uh, so I'd do like, I'd normally warm up, so I'd try and limit the time on the treadmill because it's just so boring, but one of them I kind of warmed up 15 minutes and then I would do like an hour going from 15 and up 5% every 15 minutes, oh no, sorry, every 10 minutes. Um, and then there's a there's a gradient adjusted pace thing on Killian Journey's website that you can use that, so you can say what gradient adjusted pace you want to use. So I'd use my average for like, so and normally I'd go around between 8.30 and 9 minute miling, like what I'd be aiming for for the ultra. Um, and uh, then you can know what what um, speed that needs to be for each of those different ones. So I'd have it next to me and you can change it quickly on the, on the thing. So, and then I'd have like half an hour 15 minutes running flat or down on the treadmill in between and then i'd do the same again so like that would be like two hours of uphill on there and then a 15 minute cool down so it'd be kind of like a three hour stint on there um but i'd also do like shorter faster stuff on there so i could do like five times 10 minutes uphill um and then like a two minute recovery so you can use it for like, what i'd mostly use it for is con- that continuous uphill running that you don't get in cornwall uh and you need for yeah. the, the big mountain climbs because sometimes yeah. you're climbing for two hours uh yeah you just need to condition yourself to be doing that and yeah i'd use poles on it um it's wide enough just about to use use poles it's a little bit clunky but you, you so get used to it uh and then yeah I'd, i added in the altitude mask more sort of recently um because i was sleeping in a tent over the over the summer um just to get that slight extra advantage of an adaption because a lot almost all races go to altitude and um i did get i did get an increase in my hb on my blood so it has a physiological response but you don't get that you then miss that feeling of running at altitude and how horrible it feels so you don't get adaptions from running at just altitude but you get the like the mental know how it feels and can i maintain the same pace uh so yeah i would add that in and i'd normally put it around like 2000 meters which is like probably like average highest you go maybe a bit more um so you don't get the, you don't get the same adaptive effects like increased red blood cell count or anything like that that you would actually at time at altitude um not as much you would need to have it on all day and the sleeping at altitude gives you the adaption because you're in, in it for 12 hours or you know <laughs> i am in bed a long time so i do sleep like nine ten hours but i'd go to bed like when i was in it i'd go to bed at eight and read my book and then yeah, yeah, if I wasn't working this morning, I'd have I'd chill out in the morning. So I try and maximise the time 
Um, but actually, for, for, for Nice and CCC, I'd stopped going in it because I was just sick of it, actually. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, there's some benefit, but, but yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, felt, I still felt good without it. Um, and then, yeah, I'd also use the treadmill for because I do a lot of cross training. Um, so I, I probably run 60 miles a week, 50, 60 miles. And then the other the other half. So I'd train twice a day. So one of them would be a run and the other would be either cycle or I would use the treadmill again for an uphill hike um, with poles or without. Um, so cause, yeah, it's, it, I still count that as cross training because at 40 percent, there's very little impact. Um, and yeah, I do kind of half between half an hour and an hour of just uphill hiking on there. Just um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great tool. Um, but yeah, the stairmaster is also great. But obviously, you have to go to the gym for that. Um, yeah. And often it's occupied by somebody, and you have to wait. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think that there are lots of ways you can you can do it, get around not having mountains. Um, yeah, the other thing is, I guess, with um, <laughs> with machines, is you te- you tend to get hot as well, right? So even if it's cold outside, you can make yourself sweat mm. like hell, um, especially if you turn the fan off or whatever. Um, so there's that again, that sort of heat training. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially yeah, in the summer, it's um, it's not that hot here, but yeah, it does does get. And I remember like when I did one of my sessions, it got to the end, and obviously all the gunk that comes out the mask, like your respiratory secretions or whatever, was coming out onto the treadmill, and then also you sweat. And by the end, I I physically couldn't, I couldn't keep going because I was slip, just slipping and sliding. <laughs> so Sarah came in, my wife came in, and she was like, "What the hell is going on in here?" Like the, the treadmill was like just full of froth. And it was just disgusting. <laughs> oh, I, I remember when I used to do um, like Swift on the static bike and the Watt bike, and some of the sessions I did on that at the end of it, it was absolutely right. It's just like everything's covered in sweat, it's soaking wet, and you're sort of slipping around in it. Your whole body's like literally, your whole body is lubricated up with sweat. Um, and you sort of slip yeah. in all these ranks. It's like getting out of work too. Kind of sense why. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, lovely. It would be um, it would be amazingly useful if that treadmill could take um, like a GPX file of your course profile, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's what I I thought would be great if it, you can. Um, there's like programs you can do where it goes certain places. I've never used them, but you can go certain places. But yeah, if you could yeah program it, I'm sure you in the future. Yeah, yeah they should. Oh, there must be. It must be track. possible to create. I mean, maybe um, it sounds like you've got a pretty sophisticated one. So maybe on that one, but maybe on, there must be treadmills where you can program in profiling. I mean, the only problem is you might be limited with the. Um, the, yeah, I guess uh, it could tell you the percentage, percentage of the incline lot, versus reality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I know you can do it for like New York Marathon on some treadmills because they have the course there and New York's a bit rolling. So I do know that they um, do it for like road marathons, but uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's like I guess there's a bigger market for that mm. kind of thing, isn't there? Where you've got big, big city marathons and lots of people training for it, as opposed to yeah. quite niche trail races, you know, in the back end of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah normally i have a little look at the profile and and then i'll do the the uphill session kind of adjusted to that roughly so with the mask is it is it literally just restricting airflow basically is that what it's doing uh yeah so i've got a big generator um 
it and what it does is it replaces the oxygen with nitrogen okay um, so it's simulating the same kind of you know uh, like quantity yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and it does, yeah. So your sat at night, my sats, your sats oxygen saturations are meant to be like ninety eight, ninety nine. At night, mine would be like ninety one. Um, yeah. And then so that that stimulates a hormone called erythropoietin, which uh, then stimulates red blood cell production. Yeah. Uh, so is it generator? Is that like I'm, I'm picturing like something the size of a microwave that you're kind of wheeling around with you around the house? Is that? Uh, yeah, it's a bit bigger actually. It's quite, it's quite big. It's about the size of three microwaves. Um, oh my god! And I normally put it in the other room because it's noisy. And then the tube comes through into the bed, and then you have a tent over your head, like a just a small tent. And then it's like it makes like a noise every like four seconds. I've got a dog that does that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was gonna. I was going into a fart joke, but relating to myself, and, and I'm glad you got in there first, Jay. Um, saved you for it. Saved you from it, mate. It's my job. That's extreme, though. So, I mean, this is this, yeah. this, this is people probably listening thinking, "Wow, is this what it takes? I've got to have a generator in the spare room, pumping uh, low oxygen air into my body overnight, and, and uh, a very expensive sounding uh, treadmill." Yeah, I mean, you don't, you, you definitely don't, don't need these things. I guess just from like a competitor point of view, like I'm thinking about what my competitor is doing, like they're living at altitude, they're training on mountains. I need to <clears throat> level up, kind of thing. So it's just finding ways I can simulate what they're doing as much as possible. So, that, um, but yeah, <laughs> like I said, I haven't been in that altitude tent for a long time and I didn't use the altitude leading up to, to Nice and I was, it's completely fine so um, there's a small it's the cost of living in Cornwall <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so you are now a North Face runner which which we like I said we couldn't mention before um, how's that been has that how's that changed things has it changed things at all for you is it is it nice being part of that team is it what, what's that brought to you running yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I maybe. know you can't say anything bad, and I'm, I'm not assuming there's anything bad, but um, yeah, what, what has it brought? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there isn't really anything bad. They're, like, super yeah. supportive, really chilled. Um, they don't actually make me do stuff. Like, you know, it's kind of they're not forced to do stuff on social media, and um, they kind of just respect you as an athlete and want you just to do your thing and represent uh, I guess that just naturally represent, represents them well but just little things like the Bob Graham project that I did with them they were really helpful in kind of just supporting all of that and any equipment I needed clothes and um, it was really nice because they made a film of that so they provided kind of the production company which is very expensive I didn't realize <laughs> um, which you know now I've got this amazing film which is released in November actually um, of the whole experience, uh, which I'll have to get to keep forever. So yeah, that's really special that I've got that. And, um, I'm thankful for them for, for supporting that kind of thing. Um, and they also helped me create, I got to create my own shoe for that. So I created like a prototype shoe from scratch, uh, just telling them what I wanted, what the terrain was like, um, and kind of we worked through a few prototypes and then ended up with the, the final one, which was like, 
bit of a crazy shoe uh, <laughs> in the end. <laughs> had like seven mil lugs. Uh, wow. And cute, big kind of big gator. Um, but it's great. It's really good. I've still, I've still got it. And when it's like snowy or really boggy, it's brilliant. That's very That's, cool. Yeah. It's yeah. on your own shoe. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, there's, there's a couple of things that pull together for me. That One of my favorite ever running films is a film called This Is Your Day. Uh, which is about Rob Carr, who is a North Face athlete still, uh, Western States winner. So there's another another little link there we can delve into. Um, and, and that film is actually really good for showing um, how his wife supports him during the race as a crew, crew member with the ice packs and the ice bandanas and the ice sleeves and, and you know, what it takes to get through Western States in that heat. And, and they have a very different approach to those hot races than than we do over here from, from my own experience. Um, and so, um, yeah, he, he's been the North face runner for a, for a long, long time. And, um, they always seem to do very well by him. They really nurtured him. He came from a, um, a pharmaceutical, uh, a pharmacy technician's kind of life into, uh, an ultra runner and, and now he's a, a an ex- very experienced coach. But, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few things that, that interlink between you two actually. Um, but yeah, it's it's good to see them supporting you in that way, and um, nice to hear that they're very kind of helpful and not not no hard push, no hard sales and stuff like that. It's quite refreshing. Yeah, I guess they kind of made their their they they're like a really strong brand, so mm. they kind of don't need a lot from us as athletes apart from doing what we're doing i do like photo shoots and stuff um but actually i kind of find that stuff quite fun um and yeah it's like stuff i've never experienced before um yeah i think they they pride themselves on supporting the athletes in a long-term way so uh yeah it's nice and you get to like in a few months i'm going to sardinia with the whole athlete team so that's all the skiers snowboarders um uh like climbers and everything i feel like <laughs> when i went last year it was very overwhelming i was like oh my god what do i say to these people like <laughs> i don't want to say the wrong thing and embarrass myself i feel like the trail runners are like the losers of the group and always in bed but really because <laughs> 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 they party really hard um, i was gonna say the snowboard is probably doing shots while you're while you're just uh, getting up <laughs> It was honestly, it was wild, and I just come, I'd come directly from Thailand World Championships, and so the time I was already really jet lagged and just really tired from the race, so I just barely made it past like seven each night. So this time I have to do better. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tris, I can yeah. see you're poised. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I can really get down with the culture of the North Face uh, crew. It's, I like partying hard and then running the next day, so it's kind of great. Let me know if there's any openings. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, going back to Code d'Azur, um, what did it, wh- how did the race unfold? Where did you know you were doing, you said that you knew that you were going to do well in the race personally. But when did you feel that you were in a? Did you uh, at any point feel that you were on for the win? When did when did it kind of sink in? How does that feel? Uh, yeah, so cause it starts in the dark and you can't really see who's around you. Um, and we took a wrong turn actually, not far in because where the hundred mile course meets, we took a left where to go backwards on that course. Um, so I was in the lead and then I came back 
it was only like, we only went off course by like a minute or so it wasn't so bad um and then i was with a girl then and but obviously the, the first 10k it was 10k of just downhill um so you can't really get a true gauge for whether someone's just good at running downhill or you know how they are on the because it's how you are on the climbs and actually running so had a girl with me then and then she faded away on the first climb um and then i got down the second climb and then a different girl appeared and actually was a british girl called eve moore i'm not heard of her before but um i think she has quite a strong race but i think she she may have dropped back or dropped out later on but so then i had her with her at the second aid station um and you just don't know like so you're like okay is this going to be it's going to be a tough battle for like (laughs) over 70 miles it's going to be a long day um and then yeah after that second aid that first that second aid station uh, at the start of the really big uh seven mile it was basically seven mile climb um i kind of pulled away and then didn't see anyone again after that but i didn't obviously you don't know um but handily the camera runner who was with me at the top of the that big climb i asked him do you know how far away the next woman is and he was like Oh, I don't know, but I'll ring up and find out. So he rang, he rang someone to find out what, what the what she where she was at at the last one. He was like, "Oh, you have twelve minutes." Wow. And that was kind of um, uh, we're about twenty miles in, twenty miles of the seventy. And then after that, he kept like jump dipping out and then joining me again. I guess he was getting lifts to different areas, different points. Um, <laughs> don't think he wanted to run the whole thing. Um, and each time then. Like he didn't speak much English, but each time he would always tell me. So it was really then it like grew to like twenty minutes and then half an hour and then I was still kind of running hard, you know. I don't I didn't have that feeling of like oh just oh relax then because I still feel competitive with the men then or I still want to run as hard as I can like I, I never I don't have like a I only have really one gear in racing and it's just to go as hard as I can and and do my best. Um, so yeah, I didn't kind of, I didn't, I, I didn't relax at all when I knew I had a big lead. And then even at the aid stations, my, I had this crew, this lady come over who I only met after Malaga actually, cause she's from Malaga. She used to be an ITU doctor and now she's a sports medicine doctor. Um, she flew over from Malaga to, to crew me, which is amazing. Um, but she kept saying, she was like, just sit and eat, have more time. You've got, and then at one point she was like, you've got an hour, you have an hour <laughs> behind you. And she was like, just stay, you know, get your lactate down, get your temperature down, like trying to make me eat more noodles. But I just, you just want, I just wanted to keep going because I think, you know, if you stop too long, it just gets hard to keep, get going again. And um, yeah, I just, the, my instincts is just not, because I'm so from road running, like the, you don't even walk in road running and the instinct is just to go, go, go. Like so, <laughs> it's a really alien concept for me to sit down and eat food and, um, so I think that's something I could probably work better at and managing my race better that way because probably I'd feel a bit better towards the end if I'd eaten a bit more solid food and um, relax a little bit more. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess from about from about the point where she said I had an hour, I was like, okay. I think the only thing that's going to lose you know, that's going to lose me the race here is if I have an accident. So just be mm. sensible. And I think I was just down on the descents, really, really paranoid about my ankle rolling, and because they constantly roll. So I was just, <laughs> yeah, focusing on falling over and, and 
Yeah. That's like my special move is uh, I'm rolling ankle. I'm so good at doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm amazed that they're not more solid. Yeah, me too. I'm amazed mine are not more solid at this point because they've been rolled so many times. Um, But uh, it seems to keep happening. It slows me down a lot on descent because it means I'm not very fast at descending at all. Uh, yeah, because I'm just paranoid. Like paranoid about it, yeah. And I think the North Face shoes, although they're great, and I do think they make a huge difference on the Ultra because they're so cushioned and they have that carbon plate, but they've got a huge stack on them, so they're really, really sketchy on the sense. Yeah. They save your legs massively. Um, so I, I do keep wearing them. But, yeah, uh, my ankles are... I, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to my future. <laughs> Well, there's a great shot of um, Peter Engdahl at the CCC last year. Oh, and, yeah. Um, with, yeah, the ankle fully deflected over, right? 90 yeah. degrees. And he didn't well, even was, know that had happened. It was photographed while, like, just the, the photographer caught it as it rolled, didn't they? Mm. Yeah, it, it, wow. it was, he, just, he just rolled it in mid-flight. And um, his ankle, his shoe, the side of his shoe was on the dirt. Mm. Yeah. And uh, he didn't even know it happened. When he saw the photograph afterwards, he was like, oh. Yeah, I, I think well, I know what that was, but yeah. I Maybe that's what happens uh, if you just keep on rolling it, eventually you stop noticing and you, you, know, you need to stop and tread on the side of the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you start losing some of the ligaments anyway, so like you just your ankle just doesn't swell up and then you can... <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I mean, I'm sorry to keep you on there, but I did it the first day of the Dragon's Back, three hours in, I rolled it twice in 10 minutes and genuinely thought that was it, game over, and then managed to kind of hobble on and it eased up and it was fine for the rest of the week. And it never even really swelled up. Yeah, they but, can make the worst noise, but be fine. Oh, the noise. Oh, it's the worst noise. It goes right through your body. It sort of goes through the bones <laughs> up to your, your ear canal. It's horrible, yeah. Yeah, sometimes the best way is just to, I mean, I probably shouldn't say it, but just to keep running. Like, if you stop, yeah. the pain's worse. Just keep, yeah. just tread it out. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, 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 you mean you're right, but it's probably not the greatest advice. I mean, I don't know, maybe it is. I don't know, it worked for me in Wales anyway, like getting the blood flow going, getting the muscles moving and, you know, the ligaments yeah. and tendons moving if the way that's supposed to. Wales, I think if you... Yeah, like if you, if you stop it, you, it gives it a chance to swell up. As if you keep going, it keeps the blood flowing and keeps swelling mm. down. So um, it's probably the only time I really swear during a, a race or a run when my ankle goes over. Because and I can't help myself; it's involuntary. As soon as my ankle turns over, it's fuck. And then I oh, yeah. and it's get myself for, for having tired legs. For me, um, definitely every time. <laughs> but it's it's not the only time I swear. Right? That happens a lot all the time. Do you guys ever talk to yourselves during races? Do you, do you do you motivate yourself verbally, or is it all internal conversation? Do you actually say anything? Because I, I definitely do. Sometimes I, I have little mantras that I sometimes say, mostly in my head, but sometimes they come out as well. Um, don't make me feel weird. Come on. I don't think like I, 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 someone asked me like what I think about when I run, and I think that's why I like running so much is that for me it's like I enter this kind of weird meditative state where I don't think about anything at all apart from exactly where I am where my feet are going my breathing I just yeah sounds like a close day yeah Yeah, it's it's, uh just complete focus so I I don't think no I don't think I I speak to myself um I don't either um 
But I, and, uh, I mean, what you're describing there, obviously, is what I kind of aim for. And often it happens, especially on good races, where you can just enter this sort of balanced state of just exerting the right amount of effort um, so that it almost... You, the effort stops being, like, suffering or painful. It's just a noticeable sensation rather than hard work. Uh, and you're kind of, you know, it's, it's all about the sensation of touching the ground, bouncing off it, and the observation of the rocks or the trail or the road in front of you. And, and when you can get all of that working, and it's, it's effectively what I'm describing as like flow, then you want to obviously keep that because uh, then it feels almost effortless what you're doing. Yeah. And I think like it makes, like, I couldn't imagine like just sat here now running for 14 hours straight, but. You honestly just don't even notice it go by. It's like madness. <laughs> mm, yeah, it can be like that for sure. I've certainly got to like halfway points in the race and I'm like, holy shit, like seven hours have gone by, eight hours have gone by. This is nuts. Um, yeah. And quite nice. So, I, like 30 miles in. Yeah, I, I mean, what I would also say is the last hour or last 10k always seems to take an age. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that did. I kept. I did keep saying to him at that point. I was like, "How? I, how? How many kilometers? Like, <laughs> how far?" Um, and I, I do remember thinking to myself, 30 miles," because I've never, I've never raced. I really count the Bob Graham as um, like that distance. This is like the first time I've like raced an like a like a long ultra, um, more than 50k. And I remember getting to 30 miles or like 50k and being like, "I can't believe I've still got 40 miles to run." Like this is. <laughs> This madness. Like, just, <laughs> I was like, just don't think about it. Don't think about it. And then, and then I even got to like with only a marathon with uh, with a marathon distance to go. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, only a marathon distance to go. And I remember thinking, how did I get to this point in my <laughs> brain where only a marathon distance to go is a thing? <laughs> it's only a marathon is is a common mantra, isn't it? Just a marathon to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of bonkers, but it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah we've already run like two marathons already. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah it can be like that. In, so, in a hundred miler, it's often like, right, cool, three out of four marathons done, three out of four marathons done. What's in the pipeline for you now? Well, I'll qualify for Western States and yep. also, also yep. I guess, UTMB. Like, you can. So from that, I, I get entered to CCC again, but you can ask to be moved up a distance. So um, I think I'm going to do enter both, and then yeah, we'll see. Excellent. Well, mm-hmm. I'll be doing one of those with you, hopefully. But yeah, um, yeah I'm not doing stakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you excited about stakes, by the way? Yeah, I think so. I I, I downloaded the GPX to have a look, and um, I think it's suited for me the course I've got a lot of confidence now that I feel good in ultra running and um yeah it's definitely something I want to explore more definitely now I've got more experience I would be more confident on the start line and mm. um I think the, the the like although that was 70 miles it was a very technical 70 miles I think it's worth a lot more um because I, I don't know what the record is for, for Western States, but not much more than that. Sub-15, I think, now. Yeah, so it's not a lot time-wise, although obviously I won't be running records. Um, but yeah, I think obviously with a, everyone's always always said to me with my road running background, it's a good one per, mm. per target. Um, yeah. 
Very have you got a pacer lined up for that yet? Uh, not officially, no. Had some offers. <laughs> I wasn't putting my hat in the ring there. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll put it on it. Um, yeah, I'll be sick. <laughs> I'm in the market for for some, so yeah. Well, I, might, I might I might have some local contacts if you if you if you need some. Um, so yeah, I've got a friend who, who who's a, a pal of Sage Canada who who Sage paste him on his Western States. So if, if you oh, need cool. some shout outs, give me a shout. Um, but yeah, that that looks like such a cool race. Um, it is definitely on my bucket list. But um, yeah, maybe one day. Yeah. Hmm. Um, right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, appreciate it. It's never long enough, but I'm conscious that we, we kind of keep our episodes around this length. Um, but we'd love to have you back on again at some point, certainly um, next year as your, as your race calendar ramps up. That would be fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Thank and uh, you. keep, no, keep on posting the social media stuff because uh, yeah. your, your training stuff, I know it's, um, yeah, it, it's inspirational to a lot of people seeing seeing how you do this stuff and, and seeing what it takes the, the the commitment it takes to, to get this stuff done so um, yeah keep posting that stuff for sure yeah I will do ignore the trolls they are the minority to be fair but they are yeah. they are they will always be the minority thankfully yeah um, brilliant thanks Elsie well thanks cheers Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.